0: How's it going? We're going to be in Isaiah chapter fifty-three. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles with me, please. We're on number five, number five out of nine in our sermon series. Unavoidable. <clears throat> you have your notes in your uh, in your bulletin, uh, and and there's another sheet in there that uh, we put in. It looks like this is a chart. Uh, that's that's going with the sermon today. We'll we'll take a look at that in a few minutes. I'll make mention of that um, today. Here's your slide for your points. If you wanted to write those down before. We can go into quick here. Um, we're talking about the Savior today. So we, we started in, uh, in Genesis. We started with creation, and we learned that there's a God, a holy and perfect God, a triune God, right, a God in three persons, eternally existing equally in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that He created us in His image for His glory. Then we learned about the fall, that, uh, that we are sinful, that when sin entered the world, what? When sin entered the world, death entered the world, right? Death entered the world. And it's, it's been a curse on us ever since. And, and not only did, did uh, Adam and Eve sin, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That none of us, none of us can live up to it, and we're all helpless. And, uh, but God didn't want to leave us that way, right? He, he, he started a promise. But before that, and during that promise, he, he said, I'll, I'll send Jesus. I'm going to send a Messiah to save you. But we said, you know, I, let, let me try to figure it out. We, we became wanderers, and we started setting up for ourselves idols that we thought would fulfill us more than a Savior or an eternal God. And we all, like sheep, had gone astray, the Scripture said, right? And then we, we entered and saw last week from Hoyt the promise. The, the promise full on was going to be that, that, that God, the Godhead, would send Christ, the Messiah, to be our Savior. Not just to live a good life and to do good things. I mean, he taught great things, right? And he lived a perfect life. But he was going to come down to be born to die. And, uh, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the Savior in, in depth. And uh, I hope you're excited about that. I am certainly excited. This is, this is kind of like the, the high point of the sermon series, right? Jesus enters the scene. And, and what happens from now on is just that that excitement about what Jesus said and did for us and what we have to look forward to in the future and glory with him forever, so I'm I'm super excited about that. Uh, we are gonna pray, and then we'll get uh, we'll get started. Okay, let's pray. God, you are a great God. We thank you for your wisdom, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your love. We ask right now that you would empty us of us, God, that you would empty me of me, that the words I say would be your words and not my own. God, that we'd be convinced and convicted from your Scriptures about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ, who he is and, and what he did and what that means for us. We thank you and praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we've been putting the sermon notes in, uh, in your bulletin for you as well. And, uh, and I know some people said, it's been great, I love going through the scriptures. And I heard a couple people say it's a little hard to keep up. And that's okay. Uh, you have the sermon, all the uh, references that we use on the side of the notes. I would just encourage you to go home and look those up and to, uh, to highlight those in your Bible or look at the meaningful ones to you. Uh, we are going to put several on the screen today because we've got to work through some stuff. But we're going to go to several places as well. Uh, hopefully you're in Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to get there in a minute. Um, but I want to look at the Savior today. We're looking at the unavoidable truth being the Savior, the Messiah, that we can't avoid or push him aside or set him, uh, set him to the curb. It is Jesus that we have to focus on. And that he is ever-present. And that he was originally the promise of God. And we saw that uh, in Genesis chapter 3. I showed you that the first week. That uh, God says this to Satan. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Right? He, that is her seed, will, uh, will strike your head or crush your head. And you will only strike his heel. That there's going to be a fatal blow delivered to Satan, to sin, and to death through God's seed provided through the woman. And we'll see that that tracing goes all through scripture to Jesus Christ. And today that's where we're going to pick up today in Isaiah uh, chapter 53 if you would read with me uh, today. We're going to read the whole chapter. You ready? Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. But we in in turn regard him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions crushed because of our iniquities for our peace was on on him i'm sorry the punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds Verse six we all went astray like sheep we all have turned to our own way and the lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and and like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him, and he made him sick. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and the, and the will of the Lord will succeed by his hand. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he submitted himself to death. And was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sins of or the sin of many, <clears throat> and interceded for the rebels. Amen. We're looking at a, at a scripture in Isaiah, and for us who are New Testament believers who are are here and present after the cross, we look at a writing like that and say, "Wow, someone really you know saw the picture of Jesus and and wrote a really neat uh, lyrical, not lyrical, but it could be lyrical, but a very neat literary writing about it." Right? They. they they were obviously inspired by what happened at the cross. But for us, who need to look at the Old Testament and say, this was before Jesus even was born. This was before Jesus came and died. This is, this is why it's called prophecy. This is what God had set up from the beginning. And, and my number one point was that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise and prophecy. We look at 500 to 1,000 to 1,500 years before Jesus even arrived on the scene, and we have prophets of God talking about the messiah and we have genesis 3 the creation account that moses wrote for us we see that the seed of the woman will crush will strike the head and t- have a fatal blow to the head of the enemy see god set it up way in advance and, and hoyt talked about this last week that this was before the foundations of the world this was not something that that god was surprised at he's like oh no something happened i need to call an ambulance he's like i'm going to create them in my image For my glory, and I know they're going to mess up, and I'm going to need to send Jesus. Before the foundations of the world, the triune God was having this conversation saying, yep, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. Jesus, you're going to go. Okay. Go, team, go. And they said, let there be light. It wasn't the surprise to God. And God even told us about it before Jesus would come to the rescue. So there was this promise. And and I told you that people lived by faith in the promise. They, They reached forward in faith to touch the cross to trust the Savior who would one day redeem them and forgive them of all their iniquity, all their sin. They knew that the law that was presented by Moses couldn't be kept. And God said, here's my Savior. He's going to be the one that it all gets put on. He'll do the finished work. So there was, a, there was to come a rescuer, but, but how was he to come? You know, a lot of people uh, during the time of Jesus expected the Messiah to be this conquering king, this king of kings who will take over Jerusalem and he will reign with an iron fist and, and we'll have good days while we're here, while we're here on earth. Well, how was he to come? Well, I want to show you, uh, you can turn right now to Acts 13 as I show you the scripture in, in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to Christmas now, right? We fast forward to Christmas. It's coming faster than you think. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. A little Christmas spirit just reading that, don't we? This is is talking about the Messiah entering in the most humble of ways. A child will be born for us. God incarnate, the God of the universe would say, I'm going to humble myself, and I'll I'll be born, and I'll be a child, and I'll grow up, and I will sacrifice myself. But my name is to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And if you wanted to break down a study later on on your own, if you broke down these names, what we see is that this is talking about Jesus. And all of these characteristics that we see, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace, are seen and illustrated in Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. We talk about the divinity of Christ, and that's coming up next. Hopefully you're in Acts chapter 13. I'm going to turn there as well. Uh, so I want to, I want to keep tracking this uh, this seed. We talked about the seed from the woman. So we're in Acts 13, and we're going to look at uh, verses 21 through 23. So Israel you know, knew there was a Messiah to come. They didn't know exactly when. But they really wanted to have a a Messiah who was uh, present right now, who was with us and ready to to lead and be king. Um, And and they couldn't wait, so they they asked God for a king. So verse 21 of Acts 13. Then they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king, of whom he testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man... After my heart, who will carry out my will. Look at verse 23. From this man's descendants, right, the seed, according to the promise of God, God brought the Savior, Jesus, to Israel. So we see that there's going to be a Savior, that He's going to be born, and in Acts we see that seed, that promise, is who? Who? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who's present. So Jesus is the fulfillment of God's prophecy. Now I want to talk about prophecy. I want to Take out that little sheet, this little chart. Um, it's, it has several different prophecies on here that, that uh, you'll see the prophecy, you'll see the Old Testament scripture where, where it said it was going to happen, and you'll see the New Testament scripture where it was fulfilled in Christ. So these are just some of the prophecies. Now, in Old Testament prophecies, there are over three 100 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Each one of them being fulfilled with Jesus Christ. Some of those couldn't be fulfilled. like Some of, the, some of those could be fulfilled by prior knowledge. Like, okay, well, the, the Messiah is supposed to wear a long robe. And that's not, I mean, that's not in there. But they could, someone could put a long robe on and say, I'm the Messiah. But some of them, just by the mere fact of being born or the place he was born or the line he was in, it was just, it was just prophecy that it happened that way. Someone else crucified him, right? There are, there are things that happened to him that he couldn't, he couldn't necessarily put himself in that position to fulfill without divine inspiration. So what I've done on this, uh, there are eight prophecies on here that I've highlighted or shaded gray. So I want to talk to you about some, some odds real quick. Because a lot of people think, well, you know, it's, it's just, he yeah, he happened to kind of fit the mold of what the Bible said. Okay, let's talk about odds. There's actually a scientist named Dr. Peter Stoner. And what he did is he took, he took these prophecies and he, he uh, calculated a probability of each one. So let me just give you an example. Let's say uh, one of the prophecies is you're from Bethlehem. So what you do to, to calculate your odds of being born in Bethlehem, I know it's way more complicated than what I'm going to give you, but he calculated the odds of being born in Bethlehem. So he took the entire population, the, the, the rough, a rough estimate, right, of people from Jesus' time until present day, or I'm sorry, until the, from the prophecy until pre- present day, he took the number of people, roughly, estimated, that were on planet Earth, okay, at some point. And then he said, how many people have been born, roughly, estimated, in Jerusalem? And you divide it out, and those are your odds. You have a one in whatever chance of being born in Jerusalem. So that was his calculation for one of them. Then he took another one, and he figured it out. And in order to find the probability of being able to fulfill all of them, what you do is you don't add them, you multiply them. And he, he, he figured it out, what. What the odds would be of any man from the time the prophecy was written until present day fulfilling only eight, only eight, right, the shaded ones I have, prophecies. And here's what it came out to be. You had a one in, the number is one, with 17 zeros after it. Okay, this is the probability. It's, it's one, you have a one in one to 17, or 10 to the 17th power Chances to, to be that person. First of all, that number is so huge, there haven't been that, that big of a pool of people that have existed in, in that time period. So the odds are it won't even happen yet because there's not enough people to pull from. But let me just give you the illustration of what, he, what he gives. Suppose I take that many silver dollars, one with 17 zeros, okay, and I put an, an X on them, on one of them, because that's your one chance. What it would be is I could, I could place it all on the state of Texas, right? And it would fill Texas two feet deep with silver, silver dollars. And, and the odds thing is this, that now I task you or any man from that time to this time to go to Texas. You have one chance you're blindfolded. You have one chance you can go as far as you want on the, on the Texas map anywhere. But you can only bend over once. You only can pull one coin from the pile. And that is the odds that any man throughout all of time from prophecy until now would have been able to fulfill only eight of those Old Testament prophecies. Only eight. And there are over 300. So when we start talking about odds, like the odds are against, right? They're way against. And you wouldn't even play those odds. But here's the point. The odds are against... Without divine intervention. You see, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. And, and for someone to say, well, it was just, it was lucky that there was a man that did that. He's not God, he's hogwash. There's no way. Because that was eight of the prophecies. He, he calculated 48 of the prophecies. And I don't have that number in front of me, but it was, it was basically like if you, you didn't use a silver dollar anymore, now you use an electron. Because it would have filled the universe with electrons, and you would have one chance to go out and pick out the one electron and be the winner in 48 of the prophecies, and there's over 300. So we don't, we don't talk about the odds, because it's, it's not, no one's going to meet those odds. No one's going to play those odds. But Jesus fulfilled prophecy because he is divine, because he is God, and that leads us to number two, is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. This wasn't some random thing. By the way, it just, just a segue real quick. I love talking about odds and big numbers and stuff. Do you know that, that the odds for one strand of DNA to be randomly converged and, and, and complete and whole and mean something are astronomical as well? one strand? of DNA in your body. So for the, for the big bang, for evolution to figure itself out and work itself out and for us to have a, a one strand, a single-celled strand of DNA, it, it, it still hasn't been enough time in the known universe to work out those odds of one strand of DNA and you and I have trillions in our body. We are not random. We are created in the image of God for the glory of God and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh to be the propitiation for us. This is by God's hand, and we can celebrate that. We can be excited about that, and that he is God in the flesh. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me, would you please? We're going to uh, look at this God in the flesh. <clears throat> People think, well, yeah, he, he was God beforehand, but he wasn't God on earth. He was just a man. We're going to be in Philippians 2, and we're going to look at uh, starting at verse 5. It's always been a neat, neat scripture. I, I memorized this several years ago. Uh, I was in a small group of, of high school boys and helped them to memorize it as well, um, because the f- verse five says this: "Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, so when we 're dealing with high school boys, we have some attitude right right but but let 's look at the attitude of Christ Jesus. you guys with me let 's look at verse five: make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, right? God, the Godhead, humbled himself and became obedient to death. But he, he said, I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to humble myself. Now, when it says empty, he's not like, I'm going to get rid of all of my divine attributes and, and just be a lowly man. So no, I'm going I'm to leave the throne of heaven and enter humanity as a baby. And grow up and stub my toe and, and have temptation happen. But I'm going to be fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. I want to show you John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, remember, became flesh. This is Jesus. And took up residence among us. We observed His glory. Right? Not just His manhood. His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't just a prophet or a good moral teacher. Look at Colossians here on the screen, I think there we go. Be careful. Now see, we we get this place where we we have the prophet idea, he's a good man or good teacher. Those are hollow and deceptive philosophies. And here's what Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For in him, here's the kicker, in him, that's Jesus, the entire fullness of of God's nature dwells bodily. Was He lacking anything about His divinity? No, it, it dwelled fully. God's nature dwelt fully bodily in, in, in Jesus Christ. He was one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. I used a Clark Kent Superman thing, an illustration, several weeks ago. This is like a really good one because Jesus is like Clark Kent, and I don't want to like demean Him because that really does take Him to a different level. But think about this in this. Huge, awesome, infinite, eternal God way. Jesus comes to earth. He may look like a man, but underneath there is the S still. He's still God. He can still heal. He can still walk through walls. He can still walk on water. He can still read the thoughts and heart of man. He can still respond to those thoughts and hearts of man. He can still cast out demons. Jesus was fully God. He can make the, the blind to see with some spit and some dirt. He's fully God, and yet they killed him, and he was fully man as well. And, but I want us to look, focus on the divinity of Christ right now because it's really important that we understand Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not just a created being. Jesus was not the brother of Lucifer or, or some kind of angel. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's listen to Jesus and what he says, okay? I'm going to bust through some scriptures real, real quick, okay? And before we do that, I want us to think about the, the name of God, Yahweh. We, say, we sang it today, Yahweh, Yahweh, right? That name is what? I am. It's the self-existent, eternal name of God. It is the, it is the highest name. When, we say, when, when Moses asked, who should I tell them sends me, God says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. Yahweh sen, sent you. There, there is no other name. So this word, this, this phrase "I am," is big, and I didn't edit these scriptures down. I'm going to just bust through them. They're all in your notes on the side. You can look at them. They're the ones in John. This must be running out of batteries. All right, so Jesus says, so let's listen to what Jesus says about himself, "I am the bread of life." Jesus spoke to them again, "I am the light of the world." John 10:9, "I am the door." John 10:11, "I am the good shepherd." 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Go back one in 15, it says, I am the true vine, 15.1. And then John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the kicker here in John 8.58. Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. We like to throw this conjecture out there about Jesus. People like to say, well, I think Jesus was a good teacher, or he was a good man, or he was a prophet, or, you know, he was just a, a wacko. But we never, never seem to let Jesus speak for himself. Because when Jesus was asked the question, who are you? Are you, the, are you the Messiah? And when he said, before Abraham was, I am, what he is saying is, you're staring in the eyes of Yahweh right now. I am. In fact, that's why they killed him. Because he, a mere man, claimed to be God. Well, guess what? He didn't stay dead. Yahweh has the power to crush Satan once and for all. And he rose from the grave. Jesus is God in the flesh. So we see Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, and and the promise of God. And we see Jesus is divine. He is God in the flesh. What else can we learn about the Savior? Number three. He came to redeem. Jesus had a mission, and that mission was to come and redeem. And let's look at a few verses. You can, you can turn to John 1 if, uh, while we're waiting here. In Matthew 1, 21, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now, let's stop there. We know that, right? Like a son will be born to us, a child will be born to us. And you're to give him the name Jesus because what? He will save his people from their sins. He came to redeem. He had a a mission when he was here. He wasn't just going to come down and kind of figure it out and report back to the Father. He came down with a mission. And that mission was to die for the sins of of all people. That you and I could believe and trust in him. And we could be forgiven. He's to save his people from their sins. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus was God. He he could have come to be served. Every person would have served Jesus. And one day every person will serve Jesus. Every knee will bow. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came to redeem. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, you and I owed something. You and I owe something because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he pays the ransom. He's offered to say, I'll, p- I'll pay for you on there. So go to John. We're in John chapter 1. <clears throat> in verse 29. I-, I want us to understand. Remember, this, we shared this verse I think mean, Hoyt did last week. John the Baptist was, was preparing the way for Jesus. And that's also a prophecy, by the way. And, and as he prepared the way, he was he was ready for Jesus to come on scene and, and ready for him to have, have his victory. And when he saw Jesus, right, the, he, didn't, he didn't see Jesus say, hey, there's the guy we're going to learn a lot of stuff from. Right? John understood the mission of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. Look at what it says in 129. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, well, what did he say? He said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John understood what Jesus' mission was and was to be. He is the perfect lamb sacrifice that would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our sins. The punishment for our peace would be put upon him. See, Jesus Christ, his mission was to be the Savior, was to be the Messiah. He came to redeem us. And and there's this thing that happens now. after He came to redeem us and, and the fourth thing is this, we need to learn about the Savior. He asked a question that our heart must answer. Now, we're going to go more into depth in this in the weeks to come. But this, this question I want to pursue a little bit. Let's, let's look at John again. And first uh, John, or sorry, John chapter 1. And just go to verse 10. It's a few verses up from there. <clears throat> let's look and see what it says here. 10, 10 through 13 talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. Now, now listen, we're setting ourselves up here. We have, we have this divine God who is with us, that he is present. The word became flesh. That's in a few verses later too. He's present with us, and, and we understand his mission is to come and redeem and to pay the ransom for our sins. He's going to pay what we couldn't pay without being separated from him forever. So he came into the world, the world that was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. Number, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. See, Jesus came on the scene to seek and save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he did that, he said, I will give this to you. To as many who would would receive that gift, who would believe on my name, they will become children of God. So for for you and I, there's a challenge. And and I want to Read this in Mark. If you want to flip over to Mark with me. Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I was a little too far. <clears throat> Mark 8, verse 20, starting at verse 27. It's really important that we all deal with Jesus. Individually, he goes to us and he says, you can receive, you can believe, and you can become a child of God. Because I want to pay your ransom. I want to take care of your sin. So we're going to look at Mark chapter, chapter 8. And verse 27 is where we start. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Now verse 29, underline, circle, highlight, make sure you have this in your Bible, because this is the question he asked you. He says, but you, he asked them. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We see that Jesus is the fulfiller of all the prophecy and the promise of God. We see that Jesus, although he came in a humble state as a baby, was fully divine and fully man. And we see the mission of Jesus Christ was to seek and save the lost and become a ransom for many, for you and I, that he would pay that price. And then he extends his arm out and says, To anyone who would believe and receive that promise will become my child. I will adopt them and they will be my child. And so he asks, who do you say that I am? And look at what Peter's response was. Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. Other translations, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There is no one else to believe in. There's no one else to put our hope in. So for you and I, that question is posed. Are we going to stay in a position of idol worship and wandering and vain pursuits? Are we going to stay in a a position of brokenness, trying to achieve it on our own and be fulfilled on our own? Or are we going to yield our lives and our heart to the holy, infinite, self-existent God, Yahweh, the great I Am, Jesus Christ, who created us in His image for His glory, and He wants us to be with Him, so He sent Jesus on this mission to pay our ransom. It's so so fun believing that. But actually receiving that changes everything. You see, the Savior, the Messiah, changed everything. And all of our hope now can be in Him. Because He is our Savior is the Messiah. Let's stand and pray together. Father, today as we've looked at the Messiah, I I pray that you would impress upon our hearts how important it is to answer that question that you've posed to us. Who do you say that I am? May we individually from from the depths of our heart cry out to you, believing in you, receiving you, saying that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are our Redeemer, our Provider. You are our Savior. We are so thankful for that. And God, that truth, although starting with with us individually, is so important. I I pray, God, that you would help us to share that truth with a world that's still betting on the odds, and they are going to lose. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, the community we share and the unity we share because of him and his name. We want to praise him and lift him up for all of our days. We pray in Jesus' name.